0: I think it's true that we all want to make a difference, don't we? I mean, that's what we want. We, we, want, to make, we want to make a difference. If, if you're here today and you would say, oh, I, I don't really care about making, making a difference, it's probably only because you, you've lost hope that you can make a difference. I, I, I think we sometimes we lose confidence that we can. But if, if we believe that we could make a difference, all of us would want to, right? We would all if we thought there was something we could do that would we all want to see an impact from our lives that might change other people's lives, right? Or the, the impact from our lives that could make the world a better place in some way. We would all want that. The question is how? How do we do that? How? By the way, the same goes for church. As a gathering of people who come and express worship together, we want to make a difference in our community. We want to see big things. We want to see people come and get into a relationship with Jesus. We'd love to have a moment like the early church did in Acts chapter 2 where we see an impact. But how? How does a church make a difference? How do you as an individual, how do I as an individual, how do we make a difference in our lives? I think we want to. We want to believe we could, but how do we? Well, I think that helps us set up the story today. We'll come back to that later. Because this is the time where we celebrate the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Jesus rode into Jerusalem what we call the triumphant entry. The triumphant entry. It's, um, It's a prophecy that happened hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus walked this earth that one day the Messiah was coming. And one of the many prophecies about the Messiah was this entrance and riding on a colt into the city. And again, people mistook that for looking for a temporal national savior. But he was much more than that. But, but the prophecy was being fulfilled when Jesus rode in that day, hundreds of years after it was first given. And the story of the triumphant entry is recorded in in all four Gospels. I want to give you this little bit of background. Jerusalem, at this time, is starting to team with people. It's filling up to the brim. And here's why. If you were a a, a Jewish person in this time of history, it was Passover week. Passover was the biggest holy day in the Jewish calendar every year. Passover was their their big festival it was kind of like our July 4th in a way, but much bigger to them. It celebrated a time when they were delivered from slavery in Egypt by the miraculous hand of God and set free, and then they began to make their way to the promised land. So Passover was a very holy week, a very special time for them. And so as Passover season entered, people began to arrive into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate it. And... They would stay. I mean, it was a a big ordeal. No one could take an Uber or charter a flight. I mean, it was an ordeal to travel. But the Jewish people from the surrounding areas of Judea and even other countries who were scattered through the years of captivity before then, they're all coming back to Jerusalem annually for this feast. So the city's filling up. Commerce is booming. Restaurants are full. Uh, Lodging is packed out, right? And for some people, they would come into Jerusalem and plan to stay for two months. Because about seven weeks after Passover was another important holiday or feast called Pentecost, and Pentecost was a time when they would celebrate, you know, the first fruits and God's blessings on their land, you know, and their harvest and and other things. And so, as Pentecost came closer, some people would just come to the city and just stay the entire, if they could afford to do so. Again, it's not easy to travel back and forth, So, so Jerusalem had its best economy every year during this season. But even those who wouldn't stay to Passover, some might go home and come back. Others might just come to only Passover. Passover was the big one. And people are filling the city. And Jesus is arriving in this moment that's going to fulfill prophecy, this triumphant entry, in the beginning of this week, heading into the Passover celebration. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story. We're going to read it from Luke. Luke 19, 28. It says, After telling... Uh, this story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. This is, uh, by the way, but these cities here, these towns, are suburbs. These are immediate suburbs to the city of Jerusalem. Like most cities have suburbs and then further away suburbs, it sca- scatters out as it goes. These were very immediate towns outside of the the. City of Jerusalem. In fact, Bethany's where Lazarus and Mary and Martha all lived. You know the city in the Bible. Jesus comes here to this spot just nearing Jerusalem. It says uh, that he he sent two of his disciples ahead. Verse 30 Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt, just say the Lord needs it. I need to pause here in this very important moment to say, just biblical proof that the Lord is a Colts fan, okay? He, he just wanted to make, point that out. He, he needed it. He needed the Colts, okay? So as we celebrate Passover and Jesus and the Colts today, just wanted to point that out. Okay. it's Bible. All right. So, so they went and they found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owner asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply answered or replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, and he threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Pretty remarkable owners, right? Imagine that happening to you, right? Uh, day, someone's going to come to your house and say, like, what, what, do you guys do? what do you do in my car? Oh, the Lord needs it. Oh, well by all means, you know, have, have a nice ride. I mean, seriously, like, they're they coming to this person's house, and a colt would be, this is a prized, a prized asset that they, they were taking on their way. Bring it back someday, I hope, right? You know, But the Lord needs it. Well, Luke 19, 36, as he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. Now, this is an important detail. I like Luke's version of the story, but Luke leaves off one little phrase in his account that you find in a couple other ones, like John, for example. John mentions that they didn't not just lay down their garments on the road, they actually laid down their palm branches. And they brought palm branches and they laid palm branches down. That's why we call it Palm Sunday, right? Because they laid palm branches down in the garments and they're, they're going to have this moment. And Jesus is riding across now in the beginning of Palm Sunday. He's riding along, verse number 37. When he reached the place where the road started down the, from the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. That's such an important phrase for our conversation today. I don't want us to miss it. That, that they're praising God and they're singing and shouting. Why? For all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Well, what, what miracles had they seen? Well, for the past few years, Jesus had been in ministry doing a lot of miracles. What Right? He had healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out devils. He had fed those who were hungry. He had encouraged those who were discouraged. He had taught about the kingdom of God and God's love and God's message for all people. He had gone around and served and served and served and served. And yes, he did it in supernatural power as God, who could have stayed from heaven and said, that's your mess down there you've made. Leave, you know, you've, you've, you know y'all, done, y'all done wrong and made a mess down there, but that's your problem. But God stepped into our world through Jesus and he decided to use his divinity to serve. And he became flesh and dwelt among us. And for those years prior to this moment, he had served and done and helped miracles that God could do. And it was tiring. A lot of hours, a lot of sleepless times, a lot of traveling. And he had seen all these miracles for all these years. And at this point, it all built to a pinnacle to where as he enters the city at the beginning of this festival week, they're praising God and shouting and throwing down the palm branches and rejoicing for all the wonderful things and the wonderful miracles they had seen, that all the things that Jesus had done as he had served them. Here's what they said in verse 38. They said, Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. I think this is this, this is amusing to me for some reason. Verse 39 says, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. The Pharisees are the religious leaders at the time. They didn't mind praise. They just wanted it to come to them. You know, they just didn't want, you know, they, they were all about, you know, being important and wanting people to serve them. And then Jesus came and served others, and that was backwards. And now he's getting praised. They're like, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying such things like that. But Jesus replied, "If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. It's not going to be silent. It's not going to be quiet." And yet within a week, so much happened. Within a week's time, Jesus was crucified. We're going to celebrate that this Friday. I thought we're going to honor the cross this Friday at our Good Friday service 7 p.m. Within a week, Jesus was crucified. Within a week, the tomb was found empty as he rose again. All of this happens. And by the way, that was all God's plan. Like, how does this crowd turn to let him be crucified? And it was all God's plan. Remember, Jesus, all before this entrance, all before this entrance, Jesus had been saying, I'm coming to die on the cross. I'm coming to rise again. And they didn't understand that he was going to die and rise again. What does that mean? But Jesus kept saying it. And so when he arrived in Jerusalem and he did it, that's what his plan was all along, to pay the ultimate price for our sins and to break the power of death. And so he had to stir the pot. When he walked into Jerusalem, he stirred the pot. I mean, he just kind of met. And and the religious leaders who already hated him turned the mob against him, and they yelled for him to be crucified. They arrested him one night. Judas Iscariot betrayed him. Put, condemned him, brought him to the Roman governor, Pilate, had him uh, sentenced to be crucified as a favor to them, and Jesus was crucified. And here's the thing about the crucifixion that we should not overlook. Crucifixion was not uncommon in those days. It's brutal. Crucifixion was brutal, but it was kind of the Roman preferred method of execution for people who crossed Rome the wrong way. It was a pretty brutal sentencing that they did all too often. Normally, when someone was crucified, no one paid attention to who they were. They weren't important. Their name wasn't important other than to their family. Their body wasn't given a proper burial. It was tossed in the heap of Gehenna. It was just, it was crazy. And yet, when Jesus was crucified, everyone knew. Everyone is paying attention. Why? Well, two reasons. One, it's Passover week, so the city's full of people. Number two, Jesus had their attention from years of serving them, so they're all paying attention. This is not some random person. Two others are crucified with Jesus, but no one even knows their name. But Jesus, that was pretty epic. So everyone sees what's going on. Then on the third day, he rose again, and the tomb is suddenly empty, and Roman soldiers are being paid off to say his followers stole his body. And yet, hundreds of people over the next few weeks, hundreds of people throughout Jerusalem saw him with their eyes, and if you didn't see him yourself, People knew someone who who saw him, a friend of theirs that they trusted, a friend that was not crazy, who saw a resurrected Jesus that they once saw die with hundreds of of personal eyewitnesses over those next couple months. And everything was changed. And we're going to celebrate that next week, aren't we? The central hub of our faith is built around the resurrection, our hope. But all that happened this Holy Week. And after Jesus rose again, he hung around for a few weeks, And then he ascended back to heaven after giving instructions to his closest followers. And then the Feast of Pentecost arrived. And everyone's gathered back in Jerusalem or stayed in Jerusalem. And they're all in the courtyards of the temple. There's the the temple proper. And then there's the outer courtyards that Herod built called Herod's Temple. And 100,000 people could fit into that space, by the way. It was huge. And um, Jesus is, I'm sorry, the disciples, the followers of Jesus who saw him resurrected, they're gathered in an upper room and they're praying for God's power and God's spirit so they can pass along the message of the life changing power and death and resurrection of Jesus and spread the good news. And as they're praying, a miracle happens. Like a rushing mighty wind comes through there and shakes the room that they're at. And the crowd gathered for Pentecost notices the sound and they turn. And then as the disciples emerge, uh, these, these tongues of fire em- uh, land upon their heads. It's like a sign. They, they heard something. They saw something un- unnormal. They're like, what is that? And so they gathered around and the disciples came out and said to the crowd, here's what's happening. God's getting your attention so that you can hear this message. And these are the disciples who just ran for their life. A couple months earlier, when Jesus was arrested, they were scared of being condemned with him. Now they're up there saying, hey, he rose again. We ain't afraid of death anymore. And they began to talk about Jesus. Peter was bold. He's like, you killed him. But but that was God's plan, and he rose again. And as he preached the message, the crowd already knew. They were there. They witnessed. This was festival time. They witnessed the whole thing. And so in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what, must, what should we do? They knew. They were there. They were there for the arrival of the man who had been doing miracles all over the country and all over the different cities and towns around them in the countryside. They were there to celebrate his arrival. They were there to watch his crucifixion. And they were there to, to, to see the buzz after he rose again. And they were ready. And they're convicted. And they're like, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter is doing what we call the Great Commission. He's carrying out the Great Commission. Jesus told them before he left to go preach the good news to everybody, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to to pass it on themselves to the whole world. And Peter's doing that here. He's telling them about Jesus, and he's saying, believe that, be baptized. Verse 39, he says, This promise is to you, is to your children, and to those who are far away, everywhere, all times, all people, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Makes me feel better about some of my sermons right here. (laughs) He he began preaching, continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Peter's just preaching. And what happens next is something simply amazing. Verse 41, it says that those who believed what Peter said, those who believed, they were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Three thousand folks. This is remarkable, and I want to talk about how remarkable that is. But before I do, let me take it one step further. Later on, a different day, perhaps that week, it doesn't say, but shortly thereafter, after all this takes place, Peter and John are heading to the temple one day for daily prayers. As they walk to the temple, there's a man who was crippled since birth, who was just couldn't make a living, so he sat by the road all the time, just begging for handouts to make a living because you couldn't, couldn't provide for himself any other way. Peter and John come by, and in the power of Jesus' name, they heal him. It's a miracle. It's one of those miracles that Jesus used to do. And they did it in Jesus' name in his power. And the man jumped up, and he, he, they actually bring him into, this, into the temple with them. And the crowd of people who knew this guy and, and knew about him, they couldn't believe it, so they all gathered around to see why this guy, how's this guy on his feet. And a crowd gathered once again, and Peter and John preached the same message again. Y'all killed Jesus, but you knew, you saw what happened, he rose again. That was God's plan all along, and you need to believe. Of course, at some point, the religious leaders who had once arrested Jesus and condemned him now arrested Peter and John and threw them in the brig. But at that time, it says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, that many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who now believed totaled about 5,000 people, 5,000 men. That's amazing, 5,000 folks. That's just the men. Apparently, you know, in that time of culture, the women didn't get counted as easily or something. I don't know, or readily. But men, that means 5,000 men. That That means thousands of women, thousands of children. That means thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have now come to believe. Do you know how significant that is? Do you know how hard it is to get someone to change their entire fabric of their faith system? You ever tried to do that before? It happens sometimes. But especially when you just give someone the message one time, and they just like, okay. Like, to change their entire background of their faith and their religious beliefs. I mean, Judaism, the, the, the religion of the Jews, that they believe they were God's chosen people, and that God had made them special and given them the Ten Commandments and Moses, they're, they're built around that worship. And then Jesus came along and the religious leaders rejected him because he didn't play in their sandbox. And so a lot of Judaism, it just separated from, it never embraced Christ or what he did. And yet for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews immediately, and not just then, but from that point on, they came to believe. And of course now it's millions and it's global and it's through centuries and a couple thousand years of history, right? But here's the amazing part immediately, like this is at Pentecost and the few days afterwards, you have thousands upon thousands of people who've signed up and bought into this faith expression. How does that happen? Have you ever tried to get one person to change their core faith ideas? Seriously. I've done a lot of door-to-door work through my years and stuff. To see someone, to to say something, say, okay, I believe that now. Thanks for telling me. I believe it. I will get baptized. I will change my whole life. And from that point on, be a whole new person. It's remarkable. Thousands did it then. Why? How? How? How did we get here? And I think the best way to explain it is to reverse the order. Thousands upon thousands were ready to believe and give their lives to this message because they saw at festival time at Jerusalem a man crucified And rise again. And they're like, holy cow. That message, that was God's message all along. And when they saw it happen, they're like, okay. That's how you readily make a big move like that. They're like, okay, we're in. But why did they see it? Why did they see it when it happened two months earlier? Why did they notice a man? Again, people were crucified all the time. You didn't pay attention to them. Why did they notice this crucifixion, this resurrection? It's because it was Jesus And as we saw in Palm Sunday, when he entered the city, the crowd was already gathered around him. Jesus was not some nobody, so to speak, that no one noticed. He was the teacher and the miracle worker, wasn't he? So when Jesus was crucified and rose again, people were paying attention to what God did because they were already paying attention to Jesus before then. Keep going backwards. Why were they paying attention to Jesus already before then? Because he went around and did miracles and served and healed the sick and raised the dead and cast out devils and fed those who were hungry and encouraged those who were discouraged and taught people about God's love and God's kingdom and brought hope and served all those years. And that made him awa- people aware of him. When he arrived to the city, he was famous for his serving, which made them notice his crucifixion and observe the resurrection. And cause them to believe, and that's how everything changed. And it still's changed. Here we are today on the other side of the planet, worshiping the name of Jesus. It's amazing. I love how Peter describes it. Peter would later say these words when Peter was in the house of the non the, the Gentile Cornelius. Remember the story last week that we gave you last week's sermon. Peter was in Cornelius' house telling his family and friends about Jesus. Here's what Peter says. And by the way, you ought to write this verse down. This is a great statement that Peter makes about Jesus. He says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Isn't that something? He says, this is the summary of Jesus' life. God anointed him. He was filled with the Spirit. He, God was with him. And he went around. He went around doing good. And it looked at, like a lot of things. It like healing those who were oppressed. It was a lot of things. You read the stories. They're all in the Bible. They're just amazing things. It was just him going around doing good. And that's how Peter described his life. And that's the hoopla that caused the hoopla that made him famous as he entered the city, which made his crucifixion notice, which made his resurrection notice, which made thousands of people believe afterwards at the right time. None of it would have happened going backwards had Jesus not been going around doing good first. Had he not gone around doing good, none of the other dominoes would have fallen. It all began when Jesus went around doing good first. And this brings us the answer to the question I asked at the beginning how how can we make an impact as a church yes but as an individual how can you make a difference in this world how can you make a difference in someone's life how and jesus gives us the answer here it's very simple do good and by the way let me make this clear i don't mean be good don't misread the words I'm, I be, I'm being good. Jesus didn't go around being good. A lot of people think that we're special to God because we think we're better than others. I'm being good. That's not what it's talking about here. Okay? We can be good and not do any good. We could be good and be good for nothing. Right? Jesus did good. In other words, he served. He, he helped. All the things we've been talking about, he did all those things. He served. He went around doing good. And that's how he... Began to make the awareness which led to the difference, and that's how we likewise. Because, if I'm gonna go backwards and say this to you, this is important. When Jesus went this earth, Jesus had their attention because Jesus had spent time serving them. Jesus had their attention because he spent time serving them, and so when he went around doing good, they noticed it, and when he was crucified, they noticed it, when he rose again, they noticed it. Everything happened. Because of the resurrection, yes, that's the centerpiece. But they wouldn't have known there was a resurrection had they not noticed Jesus, and they would not have noticed Jesus had he not gone around doing good. So what do we do? We do good. You have to do something good if you want something good to happen. That's so deep I'm going to say it again. You have to do something good if you want something good to happen. Sometimes, you say, well, Arlen, I've tried to do some good. I've tried to tell people the good news. I've tried to make a difference. I've tried to point people to Christ or to hope or try to help them with their lives or tell them what they need to hear or whatever we think we're doing. And I don't think anyone's really paying attention. Do you care? I care. They just don't believe me. (laughs) That's funny. Usually people who say that, well, that's another story. But here's the truth. If you sincerely are trying to help people and serve, make a difference, here's the thing. Sometimes it takes a while. We always say people want to know how much you care before they care how much you know, right? Sometimes it takes a while of telling someone that you're for them before they believe it. Sometimes it takes a while of showing someone that you're for them before they believe it or before they're ready to believe you. Say, so, well, how long? I've, I've tried a few times. How long, right? Can I give you a little thought here? It took Jesus years, years, years before he made that triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He had spent three and a half years of of earthly ministry, intense earthly ministry. That's not counting what we don't know he could have done before those, those years. But for three plus years... And I don't mean three years like, I mean like intense years. Like he didn't have a house. He was nomadic. He said, I'm just going to go and, and not live with comforts. I'm going to serve. I'm going to go where, I, where life takes me. He had to stay awake at night and lose sleep to take time to pray because he had no time during the day because there was too much to do to help other people. Jesus did more in three years than most of us could do in decades with our schedule, and our energy, and our time. It was three long years. And I don't mean a, a, a week. You know, sometimes churches have good ideas, like we want to have love week. we want to love our community this week. That's awesome. Every church should do a love week. That's a great idea. But that's a week. And that's usually pretty exhausting at the end, to be honest. We're like, I'm tired from love week. This wasn't love week. It wasn't love month. It was like years, years of intense day and night serving. You talk about getting tired? You talk about wondering if it makes a difference? For years he served. For years he healed. For years he helped. For years he taught. And he got discouraged along the way. We see that in scripture. But he kept doing it for years and years and years and years and years, building up into that moment that we celebrate today on Palm Sunday. So do good and don't get tired of it. I love what, um, look, we get tired of it. Let me just say this. I, I get tired of it. Do you ever get tired of doing trying to do good and make a difference? I'm just tired of it, you know. Yeah, it happens. Because at some point you're like, "Am I really making a difference?" We all get there. I mean, I, I've been through there in, in 20 years of pastoring, and before that in church ministry almost all my life. I've recently had a couple instances where I'm like, just back to back blows. Are like, "What am I even doing?" You know. We all go through those times, and it's easy to sit there and say, what, 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 what's, "What's happening? Is it, is it even matter?" And look at Jesus, and before the moment when everyone came to the point of, of accepting the message that he had and the change that he brought, it was a lot of years beyond my intensity or your intensity of serving. And it was discouraging for him. There was times, you read the Gospels, and there was times when Jesus would see the crowds come because of what he did, but then he, he would start teaching them about God, and they'd all go away. There was one moment when Jesus said, you're just here for the miracles, for the food. Okay, I mean, they said, no, oh, we do. And then they all walked away anyhow. Jesus actually, at one time, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Are you guys going to leave me too? So it wasn't all peaches and cream the whole way through those years. It was years of doing good and serving and doing good and serving. And at one point wondering, at some point wondering, does, does anyone really care about what I'm here to, to offer? Or are they just looking for what they can get out of me? They just get one, they want something. You know, and that's what he was going through. I love what Paul wrote later on. Paul, the apostle who became a great missionary, he wrote a letter to the churches of Galatia. And in that letter, he made a statement that we all ought to, to, to keep close to us. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul says this. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Again, been there, right? Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. This is big, if we don't give up. Notice that phrase harvest. You know what a harvest is, right? It's an agricultural, agrarian culture would understand harvest. That's when you go out into the field and you plant a crop and you water and you wait, and eventually you reap the harvest. He says at just the right time, you reap the harvest if you don't give up. Here's the thing. When it comes to what God's called us to do as, as as those who believe on Him, our job is to serve. Our job is to do good. But listen now, serving is not the reaping. Right? We understand that serving is not the reaping. Serving is the planting. Serving is the watering. Serving is the waiting. Faith. Faith is, tr- is the trusting that the reaping will come and being ready to receive it when it's ready. He says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. That's not in our hands. We reap the harvest of blessing if we don't give up. That's a, that's a word for your life. That's a word for your, your purpose. That's a word for your that's a word in your discouragement today, folks, if you're discouraged. That's a word for your whole life. Don't get tired of doing what's good. Just the right time. When? I don't know. But, but we're, we're called to do good, to serve. That's the, that's the watering. That's the planting. That's the waiting. But one day, for Jesus, it was three and a half intense, intense years, probably worth decades of my life or more, of ministry, of ups and downs, of crowds and crowds walking away, to lead to the moment that everyone watched him walk into Jerusalem, praised him for all they seen him do, watched him get crucified, watched him rise again, say, oh, that's what God was, that's what he'd been saying all along. And then becoming, believing. And what's launched, what we have today. But it all began with years of doing good. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. The next verse says, therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone. I want to give you two simple statements. I've kind of already given them to you. But this is the two simple takeaways today to take home with you. I'd say write them down, but you, you know, which is good, but you probably don't need to because it's pretty simple. Two simple steps that we see in the life of Jesus that answers the question, how do we make a difference? And how do we make our life count and have purpose? It's as simple as this. Number one, do good. And number two, keep doing good. And that's it. Do good. Jesus went around doing good. Paul said, don't get tired of doing what's good. Do good and keep doing good. I don't know about you, that's pretty good. That's, that's a reminder that I need in my life from time to time, don't you? That's the hope I need to have. When I get young and enthusiastic, I'm going to go set the world on fire. And then I sometimes look back and say, what's it all been about? I think sometimes it's going to take us years, sometimes a decade, sometimes a lifetime. Sometimes, it, in some ways, not till heaven one day, perhaps. For we look back and know how we've touched. I think one of the best things about heaven is going to be sitting back and finding out all the stories of things that we didn't know the dominoes that drop that we didn't know drop because of something we did led to something else led to something else led to something else in doing good i just think if we're going to follow jesus this palm sunday there's the answer do good and keep doing good by the grace of god that's where the big stuff happens at just the right time.